Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. How many of you like me, you like to walk around along a beach at low tide and just see what's been left behind, right? It's fun. I want you to keep that thought in mind as we uh, roll into this final message in this year's Surge series. Just keep that thought in mind, walking along the beach, seeing what the tide has left behind. As you join me in prayer, Father, we, we just pause now. We turn our, our minds to you. You have given us the gift of intelligence and perception. You have given us this blessed gift of your word, and I just pray, God, that you'll engage us in our minds and our intelligence and also engage us in our hearts and our emotions. Engage us in that other place, that spiritual place, Lord, where you speak to us. As you translate the words out of my mouth that become the words you want each person to hear. We bow before you and invite you to be the teacher, the master, the pastor, the shepherd, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in the Surge series, of course, if you've been here and we've been uh, understanding this word that the Lord has given us about this surge, this push, this wave of the Lord moving through here, and it means so many different things. It affects our worship, it affects our prayer Uh, It affects our evangelism, our discipleship. It affects our home groups. It it affects so many, so many, virtually affects everything, this surge. I'm hearing so many good things back from people about just the things that they're seeing in these various levels of ministry. Uh, Part of the surge, of course, as we've said several times, is to give the Lord opportunity to significantly raise up younger leaders among us here. And part of the strategy for that is following this thing we're calling the Paul Timothy template, that there is uh, this laid out very clearly in scripture, this pattern between Paul and Timothy, uh, one who had walked with the Lord for some time, one who was newer at it, and the very special, wonderful relationship that they had as one spoke into the life of the other. And I've been encouraging you guys to find these relationships, and we've been trying not to over-organize it or over-program it, but just ask God to let you guys find each other, and it's happening It's happening. This is probably the last time I'm going to be talking much about this for a while as we move on to some other things beginning next week. But as as I I just want to leave you Pauls with these with these with these things. First of all, really everybody, just be patient, okay? Try to be patient. I know some of you have signed up to be a Paul or a Timothy, and we haven't been moved yet to try to find uh, who to put with whom, and and so we're still praying through that, thinking through that. Be be patient. God has perfect timing for this, we believe. And also, this is not a limited time offer. I think this concept of the Paul-Timothy relationship is, is going to be something that just characterizes this church henceforth in some of the ways that other, other things that the Lord has blessed us with over the years. So just, just be patient, because this is really an abiding principle. It's not just a snapshot in time. Uh, another thing is somebody asking me about having multiple Timothys, some Paul's saying, like I had four people come and somebody said and, and asked me if that I would be their Paul, is that okay? Um, and, and yeah, it's okay. It's okay. You have to decide because it's an investment of yourself in the life of that person. You don't want to get yourself overstretched, overcommitted because you're really going to try to care for that person. And so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, we, we got quite a few more Timothys and we had Paul's signing up around here. So... If you're a Paul, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while and you can find a space of time 
to meet with uh, Timothy on your own schedule, once a month, whatever, twice a month. You guys figure that out and just walk through those questions. Boy, I'd really encourage you to sign up this morning. Pauls, we, we're, we just need more Pauls. I think it's wonderful that we have just a multi-generational church. We, we need more Pauls to sign up. And so there's uh, a clipboard out on the welcome table on your way uh, out today if you're a Paul. And you say, you know, maybe I could find, find time for, for a Timothy. And uh, just sign up and, and then uh, that'll be a huge help to us. Okay, and also married couples. You know, can couples be Pauls and to Timothy couples? That'd be fantastic. Some of you got some of you married couples who have been walking with Jesus for some time just to take in a, a, you know, a younger couple and just meet with them periodically and, and, and speak into their lives and, and let God lead that, lead that. That'd be awesome. And the third thing I want to say, especially to the Pauls, is this, this is so important. And I, I, I feel like you all know this, but I just want to say it. Being a Paul is about giving loving wisdom. It's not about control. Or manipulation. You know, there have been some abuses of these kind of things in church history. You know, and some of you may be familiar with something that was called the shepherding movement like 30 years ago or whatever. And, and so this, the seniors kind of became controlling of those who were younger in the Lord. This doesn't smack of that at all. Um, it, Paul's, it's really your wisdom the, the principle of wisdom that you have to bring to these youngers. It's not the specific control or manipulation. You're not going to tell them how to dress, please. Okay? You're not going to tell them what TV shows they should watch. That's not what this is about. You're not going to tell them what news outlets they should be checking every day in order to form their perception of the world. That's, that's separate. You're going to care for them. And Paul's, I, I, I would encourage you to employ three devices that I like to employ. One is when I'm talking with a Timothy, instead of telling him what to do, I say, I have found, I have found that. That's one of the devices. Well, I, you know, I've found that by setting aside a particular time, like Christian and I did last week, you know, setting aside a particular time, I have found that that really helps me, a guarded time. I'm not telling a person what to do. You're saying, I have found that. Another device is, have you ever thought about? Have you ever thought about? So when someone's saying something to you, have you ever thought about how that impacts? Have you ever thought about? So you're really asking leading questions, but there's one statement that I want you, Pauls, to be sure you know you have in your arsenal, and that is the statement, I don't know. Okay, I, I, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. You're not expected to know everything. But God has invested wisdom and time, maturity in you. That'll be a great benefit. So please, Pauls, be loving and careful with your Timothys because if you don't, you will find how protective of these sheep I can be. <laughs> That's not a call you want to get. <laughs> so we need some more Pauls. Hey, I, everybody, would you... Would you take the Pauline pledge? Would you? Would you raise your right hand, please? Repeat after me, I promise, that if I ever find myself in the position of being a Paul, I will fulfill my role with grace and loving kindness
The one week I wish we were Methodists. You could do this so much better. I will resist all temptation to try to control, cajole, or otherwise manipulate any Timothy with whom I may be entrusted. Amen. <laughs> okay. Let's get back to the surge. You know, as we just think about finishing this year's series, surge series this morning, I, I was so struck with something that happened in our home group that I actually extended the series by one week just so that we could have this time together this morning. Eric and Lisa Kastner are our home group leaders, and, and Karen and I were at home group a, a couple of times ago, and Eric was pretty jazzed up about the surge, and he was bringing a lot of passion talking to the group about surge and stuff, and and uh, he said he'd been praying about it, and he kind of got this picture. And the picture was, you know, when a storm surge comes in, it does its thing, and then when it goes out, it leaves all kinds of stuff behind, doesn't it? It leaves all kinds of debris, if you will, behind. Thing that was just, things that were just carried in by the surge, and now viewed by most as trash, it's just laying there. And he asked such an excellent question from Galatians. He was leading into a discussion about Galatians chapter 1. And he said, you know, are we as a church, and in particular our home group, are we really going to be ready for what the storm surge leaves behind? Are we going to be ready? You know, if God, if God surges, or when God surges and brings this... This flow in and then surges back and see what's left on the ground. Are we going to be ready to embrace them? And he was talking about Galatians. And, you know, they started out as these Gentile believers who were just so happy with their freedom in Christ. And then these legalists came along and, and, and just kind of persuaded them to get all uptight. Rules and regs. And Paul says, why did you do that? Why did you give up your freedom? And they gave it up because it's human nature to do that. It's human nature to come into a setting like this and be so grateful for what God has done that nothing else matters and you're just alive with the Lord and you're alive in the flow of what God's doing. And then over time, what happens? You find your favorite chair, don't you? <laughs> you find your, the place you like to sit. You find the mechanism of the relationship that you have with the fellowship. And it's just human nature to kind of go, ah, oh, that's my spot. So what's going to happen when the surge goes out and there's some piece of driftwood sitting in your chair? Move over one. Thank you, Barb. <laughs> It's something to think about, isn't it? Because even though each one of us were like tumbleweeds, driftwood, we were, so many of us were just lost when we came to this place. And we were so grateful for finding a place like this that it doesn't take all that long to kind of get solidified. And we don't mean to, do we? It's human nature. And so the question is, are we really going to be, continue to be open enough to just embrace and love whatever the surge may bring. 
So during the home group discussion, we were trying to think about what to call this debris. You know, because we, we didn't want to give it a negative connotation. And debris kind of carries that, right? And it was the next day as I was praying about this that I said, oh, wait, it's driftwood. It's driftwood. Y'all know what driftwood is, right? It's, there's pieces of wood that were once hooked to a tree or some plant, a living thing, and somehow they became separated from that, and they got flopped into the water for some period of time, and they were pounded by the waves, right? Pounded and pounded, and they, were, they, were, they became something different because they just couldn't stand the pounding. And then they washed up somewhere. It's considered to be trash at that point. Get this stuff out of here. It's such a, it was such a helpful thing between Eric and the Lord just showing me that's what's going to be left behind. It's driftwood. Pounded. Pounded. Some of you can relate, can't you? You were just out there and you're just pounded. 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 And some crazy process led you here. And you came in and you were embraced as you were. And that's the call of God in this, in this message on us is just be ready to embrace the driftwood. Let's not forget that we were once the same. To help us understand that better, I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles or your devices or whatever, you get yourself over to Luke chapter 15. For those of you who are newer, it's, it's in the New Testament, the second big part of the Bible, and pretty, pretty early in it. It goes Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Look for Luke chapter 15. I want to share a passage of Scripture with you and talk from it, teach from it for just a couple minutes, a few minutes. In Luke chapter, while you're getting there, the context of this 14 and 15 is really fascinating to me. Because if you look at 14, verse 1, it says, One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. So it starts, he's, he's eating, Jesus is in the house of a prominent Pharisee. That's how it starts. But then you just keep reading through these teachings that he's given, and it just goes downhill from there. So that when we get to our place in the next chapter, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners and being criticized for that. But this is so Jesus, right? This is so Jesus. And so in Luke 15, verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners, in quotes, were gathered around to hear him, meaning Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Remember one chapter before he was in the home of a prominent Pharisee. Now they're slaughtering him for being open-armed to sinners. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. This was a common device for teaching among the rabbis. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Wow, right? There's really three main parts of this that I really want to, I really want to highlight. And first, that Jesus presents himself in this as the good shepherd. He did that in John 10, too, didn't he? He said, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. They follow me. And he, 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 he presents himself as a good shepherd. 
And for us, that's just such a cool thing, isn't it? Here he is, just that loving shepherd. The Pharisees saw shepherds as members of an unclean profession and could never have imagined the shepherd being the protagonist, the hero of a story, of a parable. Just, that, that, that just got under their skin that he would even say that. I mean, to illustrate, it would be like if Jesus came and he said, I am the good Wolverine. <laughs> He's wearing a big sweatshirt, with a, a blue sweatshirt with this big maze M on the front. You did, some of you felt something there, didn't you? Some of you, I can see you're crossing your arms. You're, you're turning me off. He's going there. I told you if he ever went there again, we were going to stop coming to this church. We were going to go to Buckeye Christian Church. If you're thinking about another church, I, I highly recommend that church, by the way. I am the good Wolverine. You're like, ah, that hurts my ears. That's what, saying I am the good shepherd would have been to these Pharisees. But do you see the hypocrisy in this? These, these Pharisees who depended on the shepherds to raise the many lambs that they needed for their many sacrifices despised them. Do you see the hypocrisy in this? Do you see what Jesus came to? Upon reflection, I don't think Jesus chose the image of the shepherd to purposely get under the skin of the Pharisees. I think Jesus purposely chose the image of the shepherd to endear himself to the lost. To come from people like you and me. To the forgotten. To the marginalized. I'm a good shepherd. People are going, oh, he's one of us. He's not one of them. He's one of us. You feel that today? You feel that intimacy with the Father, with the, the Son, Jesus, that he wants that kind of relationship. The second, I think, I think we really need to see in this passage is that Jesus elevates the value of the lost sheep. The Pharisees actually considered themselves to be of highest value to God. I mean, they, they were following all 613 Levitical laws. They were sure they were. They added some more, and, 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 and they were calling other people to do the same, and so they... They considered themselves to be, you know, of highest value to God. And um, they could uh, surely understand the, the lesson that Jesus was, was bringing about this lost sheep. But one of the things about the Pharisees is they had a, they had a mechanism. They had room in their minds for a repenting, returning wanderer. So if somebody did wander away from Israel, there was a mechanism for them to come back. What they never would have thought of, though, is going out and getting them. It's like, yeah, I guess if they want to come back, we'll make a door for them. But Jesus said, no, it's not about making a door for them. It's about leaving these and going and getting them. And by talking about it in these shepherd's terms, he elevated the value of the lost sheep. Now, whenever I've read this, especially earlier in my walk, I was always troubled by this idea that Jesus would leave the 99, right? Can't you just see these sheep going, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen the shepherd? I mean, that he would leave them. But here's what you got to get. 
In, in culture, in context, you know that shepherds led their flocks together. And so when one of the several shepherds who were grazing their flocks together would notice that a sheep was gone, they would say, Amos, I need to go. Look, okay, I got yours. I mean, I think that's such a picture of the church, if you will. This is pressing it, I know, but that's the way the church is meant to be. Capital C Church. With all the different signs on the doors and the parking lots and the styles. That, yeah, I got you covered. Another question you might have is, why did Jesus carry the sheep on a, or why did the shepherds carry the sheep on their shoulders? That's the pretty common picture, isn't it? The shepherd, something coming along, he's got that sheep up there. Why did he carry him that way? Well, first of all, I want to dispel a myth. There was a terrible story circulating for many years that has no basis in reality. And that is that the reason that you see that image is because when a shepherd found a wandering sheep, he would take his rod, remember the rod and the staff, and he would break one of its legs. Maybe some of you have heard this preached. And they'd carry it back because it couldn't walk. And then he had to carry it around while it healed so that it would endear himself to the shepherd and wouldn't wander anymore. There is no historical basis for believing that. It came from a misunderstanding of something that shepherds do, and that's called a leg break. They call it a leg break when they'll take something heavy, a stone or something, and that wandering sheep, they will tie it to that sheep so it can't get away so fast. But there's a difference between a leg break and breaking a leg, isn't there? Why? What's this business? Did you ever try to carry? Some of you have dogs the size of sheep, right? And you take it to the vet, you know, and you kind of get, get it up in the car and stuff, and you pick it up, and it's like, bang, bang, bang. And you, you can't do this, can you? And you can't do this, right? Yeah, right, Pam? Ah! So what do you, same with the sheep. It was practical to carry it this way. But it was also something else. Because it could have taken its staff and just pounded it home. But this was, this is an image of Repentance. I've got you. I've come for you. I'll take you right next to my heart right now. This is an image of repentance. Some of you are so obsessed with the thought of your sin. I get that. I hate that in my own life. That you're waiting to come back to God. You've got to get all this worked out. You've got to get this straightened out. And the reality is repentance is coming right back as the lost sheep and being embraced by the Father. You can do that today. You can come to the cross today. You can return today. But Jesus is saying that this is all about relationship and not religion. And the third thing I think that we should notice in this parable is that it's asked the question, well, what's this big party in heaven about? You know, there's more rejoicing. You know, the, the shepherd comes back and calls his friends and says, hey, I found my lost sheep. Let's have a party. I hope they're not having lamb, you know, but let's have a party. What's all the partying about? And what's this thing he says that there's more rejoicing among the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who don't need to? What is that? Once again, Jesus is elevating 
the essential value of the lost over the Pharisees themselves. The Pharisees were not acting as friends of God. They thought they were. But they were not representing the mercy of God. And so they weren't acting as friends of God. They were behaving in a judgmental and elitist way so that it was not a true representation of the Father who is holy, absolutely holy, but who has made full provision for your sin. Full, Tim Helsel, full provision for your sin. Full! Full, Barb. Full. Rich, you know those days when you just think, I was one too many. I'm out. You weren't. Full? Me too. This is the image. He says, wow, I'm just so glad you're back. In this passage, Jesus is teaching by story what he said directly in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's what the surge is about, in part. It's about, it's about driftwood. It's about, let's call it surge wood. It's about the mess that's going to be left behind as we enjoy the surge of God among us. Can you apply this same value system, the same value system of Jesus to the surge? Can you do that? Can you intentionally prepare yourself to elevate the value of a single lost person who may be washed in here by the surge over everything else that you see and enjoy here? I think it really boils down to three essential questions. Number one, will you watch for the surge wood? Will you watch? As this happens, will you, will you keep your eyes open all the time and just say, I don't know that person. Could you just keep your eyes open and, and watch for Surgewood? We're not a megachurch. We're not a megachurch, but we're too big to be small. Can you just watch for the person who comes in? Is that my Surgewood? The thing is, there's Surgewood sitting in this room right now. People who are here who haven't been embraced. We didn't mean to do that, did we? It's human nature. You got your seat. You found your spot. You've decided which is the best angle to view me from. <laughs> Second question, will you figure out how to extend authentic welcome to Sergewood? Some of you are just really natural welcomers. I get that. It's no problem for Yay! It's no problem. For others, that's a terrifying prospect, isn't it? I get that. You got your little fort seat there, right? I sure hope somebody doesn't make me hug somebody or they don't do that weird thing. But can you just give some thought? How would you welcome a surge would? If you're, if you're not the, hey, hey, you want to stop at Bob Evans after this? Let's get to know him. You're not that guy. How could you? 
What, what could you do? What if you had a $20 Bob Evans gift card in your pocket all the time? That's how you knew here. Huh. You got plans for later? Oh, why don't you go to Bob Evans? <laughs> Some, there, there's something anybody can do. Could you just consider that? Ask the Lord to help you with that. And the third question I think is so critical is, is there a type of surge wood you might find difficult to love? Ouch. This is where things get dicey. Is there a, a type of, is there something about them that would make it difficult for you to love? Maybe there was something about their sexual perspectives that you were picking up on. You go, I know I'm not going to like that person. Maybe it was something about their politics, their political perspective, and you go, nope, not my kind of person. Maybe it's something about their religious heritage. What would we do if a busload of Muslims said, I want to check out this Jesus, and they came in and sat? What would we do? We'd call security. <laughs> You'd be so nervous that they were up to something. Come on. Can we talk? Is there a type of person, something about their ethnicity or their race, are you still struggling with that? Got to ask that. And you might say, well, aren't I entitled to have a strong political position? Absolutely. Aren't I entitled to have what I understand to be sexual mores and understanding how people should live? Absolutely. Not only entitled, you are obligated to let the word define that. But we don't have to lead with that, do we? Come on. Why do we have to let that be the determining factor of whether we're going to love somebody? I'm so quiet about my politics in this church because half of you would hate me. And you don't even know which half, do you? <laughs> it shouldn't matter, should it? Because we don't lead with that, do we, bro? We don't lead with that. You know, they brought this woman who had presumably been caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And said, well, shouldn't we stone her? What did Jesus lead with? Adultery, you say? He led with, and then he led with, he, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I mean, Jesus doesn't leave us in deception. But he doesn't lead with that. I'm looking for some beachcombers. Will you be a beachcomber? I'm serious about this. I'm looking for some beachcombers, some people who will help gather surge wood. So on eBay, I found this guy in California. <laughs> Sorry, it's West Coast surge wood, but who collects small pieces of driftwood? and offers them for sale. 
And to me, they're just such a beautiful reminder of what it is we're talking about today. Surge wood. Because it's on. We're just getting started in surge. There will be people sitting in your seat, and some of them you won't know how to respond to. So how do we get ready for that? But we pray, right? We pray, God, make me a true instrument of your love and grace, your true message. Take away, take the Pharisee out of me. I wondered if anybody might want a piece of surge wood. You can take it and you can put it somewhere that will remind you to pray about it. You can drill a hole through it and put it on your keychain. You can, you can tape it on the mirror. You, I, wonder, I just didn't know if anybody might want something like this. Now, my piece of surge wood, I, I also modified it a little bit, the one I carry now. And I just took a Sharpie and I wrote surge on it. And I didn't know if anybody might want a piece of surge wood as a helpful reminder for your prayer and your own spiritual formation. And, or, and you don't certainly are not required to write anything on it, but they might want to write surge or the name of somebody or a kind of person or something, whatever's kind of stirring in your heart now that you really need God to help you with. Get ready for it. So I didn't know if there was anybody. Does anybody want one of these? Okay, well, in just a second, I'm going to invite you to come up and get it. And you can write on it if you want. You can, or not. It doesn't matter. That's up to you. This is you. This is a solid reminder of the surge and the kind of person we're just going to love, embrace, share the gospel with. So when we start singing here, which I guess we're getting ready to do, you can come up and get one. But there's some, one more thing I need to tell you about Surgewood. The Surgewood is not going to come in a nice package. We're going to have to pick it up. We're going to have to bend over and pick it up. Father, I pray for a move of your spirit on this place right now. You're so faithful to bless us with your love and grace and power and mercy. Now, would you just bless us with a stirring conviction in our hearts that we have been saved, that we have been rescued from the debris pile ourselves, and now it's our turn to be your hands and your feet, to be your loving arms, to lead with love, not judgment, to leave the judgment to you, O oh God. Would you come now in this house, Father, as we consider our place in this, and would you just inspire the men and women and young people in this room right now, oh God, that everyone would come. Would just take a piece of this as a reminder, a, a symbol of what you've already done here and, and want to do even in greater ways here. Holy Spirit, move among us now. In Jesus' name.